the volume. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Thank you to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the 2024 Colin Coward Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it. Panini America is also breaking new ground in NIL, featuring some of the biggest names in college sports. Turn first-round picks like Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. Visit PaniniAmerica.net today. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. Colin Coward Podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. No better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. There's a lot of reasons. It's America's number one sportsbook. Incredibly easy to use. Super safe. Totally secure. Super fast payouts in as quick as two hours. You're not going to get that anywhere. Also, same game parlay bets. Live betting. It's the best. Hey, if you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. I did it in 15 seconds. Get started now. Sign up. Please use the promo code Colin so they know we sent you. Please use the promo code Colin, C-O-L-I-N. FanDuel Sportsbook app. Sign up. This is Prime Cuts, the best of the Colin Coward podcast. Former Seahawk, Fox analyst Greg Olson. Some great firsthand insight into why Russell Wilson Wanted to bolt Seattle for Denver. Philadelphia Radio's Mike Missanelli, one of the best in the biz, told me why the Eagles will likely move off Jalen Hurts and why Philly fans get a bad rap. Also, Chad Millman. Dark horse picks in March Madness. But first, my top takes of the week. Ownership matters. Paul Allen passed away not long ago. He loved the Seahawks and loved the NBA. And the Portland Trailblazers, under Paul Allen's ownership, were a viable playoff contender, got to a Western Conference Finals. The Seahawks got to a couple Super Bowls and were always a playoff team. He passes. His sister Jody Allen takes over ownership. She does not love sports. And in one year, the Seahawks get fleeced by the Broncos 
finish in fourth, and the Blazers are essentially starting over. Ownership matters. Jody Allen allowed Pete Carroll, a 70-year-old defensive coach, to get too much juice, too much control of the Seahawks, and they are paying a price. You start looking around at these defensive coaches, Vic Fangio, Mike Zimmer, Pete Carroll, Ron Rivera, they don't see what's happening. They don't understand the importance of O-line play, elite offensive coordinators, quarterbacks. Pete Carroll is the one that eventually signed off on this, not John Snyder. Okay, Russell Wilson wanted out, and Pete Carroll, who views himself very highly, fired twice before Russell Wilson, losing record in Seattle before Russell Wilson, signed off on this. And they get a couple of firsts, a couple of seconds, some decent players. Shelby Harris, nice defensive lineman, not elite, no offense, very nice tight end. Case of the drops, but a nice tight end. But Seattle has shown no indications over the last six to seven years of being able to draft well. In fact, there's an argument to be made that Seattle drafts as poorly as anybody in the NFL in the last half decade. Go look at their drafts. Forget landing stars. They have struggled to land starters with their first round picks. This is an organization that lost a great owner, gave too much power to a coach. Pete Carroll is running the show, signed off on the trade. And I talked to a pair of NFL general managers today, one in the AFC and one in the NFC. Both said about the same thing. I thought Seattle would get more. So did I. If Seattle gets a third first round pick and a quarterback who is at minimum a bridge starter for a couple of years, maybe we feel differently. Drew Locke is not only not a franchise quarterback, he's not a bridge quarterback. He is inaccurate, cocky, has a much greater opinion of himself than people around the league. Denver has no problem letting go of strong-armed Drew Locke. This was a slam dunk for the Broncos. The best quarterback won every division last year. Every division. You can give up a lot of interior defensive linemen and nice tight ends and first and second round picks. You give up a Hall of Fame quarterback. Russell Wilson's been in this league 10 years, nine playoffs in the toughest division in football. I'm not even sure what equal value is. It is not Drew Locke, a tight end, an interior defensive lineman, and four picks. To a franchise in Seattle, which has drafted so poorly, you have to go back to 2015, seven years ago, to find the last draft where they got two really good starters, Frank Clark and Tyler Lockett. You have to go back to 2012, 10 years to find the last time they got two stars in a draft. Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson. And they just let Russell Wilson go. Here's something else that's not being discussed. The Denver Broncos are for sale. Russell Wilson signing with Denver inarguably, this is something another general manager told me today, Russell Wilson drives the price of the Broncos up $300 million. This is what LeBron did in Cleveland. 
This is what Justin Herbert's done to the Chargers. They're simply more valuable. Not only going from San Diego to the LA market, but from Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert drives the price up. That's why the Spanos family can move closer to LA and build a massive practice facility. Spend that kind of money. That's what SoFi's done. That's what the LA market's done. That's what Justin Herbert's done. Russell Wilson massively drives up the value of the Denver Broncos. Now, many people would say, oh, wow, look, look, this is a very tough division. What did he just leave? He just left the toughest division in the NFL, one in which he mostly dominated it for the previous seven or eight, nine years. Let's talk Aaron Rodgers for a second, because I believe people tell you what matters to them with their choices. So Russell Wilson told you it was about winning championships. He simply didn't trust a defensive coach and a team that couldn't draft consistently. To him, he was willing to go into a very tough division and a new conference because he feels and his agent feels the GM's better in Denver, the O-line's better in Denver, the weapons are better in Denver, and the defense is much better. He'll take on Mahomes, Herbert, and Derek Carr. Russell's about winning. Aaron Rodgers, knowing he doesn't have an owner, knowing he doesn't have a second wide receiver he can trust. We saw that in the playoff game against the 49ers. Aaron Rodgers wanted the money. Aaron Rodgers is probably now the highest paid player in the NFL. That's fine. I'm okay with it. But Aaron Rodgers told you what mattered. He could have gone to Pittsburgh with a better defense. He could have gone to Denver with better weapons or Tennessee. Aaron told you, I want comfort and I want money. And it should be noted, it's an easier division. I'm not saying it's a bad move, but Green Bay will never, ever, ever be a top free agent destination. It will never be a top destination for players. Don't kid yourself. OBJ, Von Miller, happy to go to LA. Matt Stafford chose LA. It matters. It absolutely matters. Green Bay will never be that space. So Aaron Rodgers has been passive, aggressive in the last several years, criticizing Green Bay. They don't sign this guy. They don't sign that guy. Nothing changes. They don't have an owner. They're not a top free agent market. Aaron was about the money. Russell was about competing against the best with better weapons, with a chance to win a championship. Brady told you that for years. I don't want to hear about his supermodel wife. Brady told you for years. It's about winning. I'll take less. I want to go to a place I can win more. Choices tell me what you care about. So Coach K coached his last game at Cameron Indoor. Jerry Seinfeld was there and Adam Silver was there and a bunch of former Dukies were there. Too bad Duke didn't show up. They got hammered by North Carolina. You know, I tell my kids all the time that um, don't get discouraged because even for really talented, successful people, being really successful is hard. You watch that MJ documentary. He was fighting with the owner, the GM, Dennis Rodman, coaches. Phil Jackson was his third Bulls coach. He didn't make any playoff series as a winner. He never won a playoff series. Michael Jordan never won a playoff series without Scottie Pippen. And he's arguably the best basketball player of all time. Most of you think he's the greatest basketball player of all time. Couldn't win a playoff series without Scottie Pippen. The point is, he overcame. Even for the great ones, it's hard. Coach K won over 500 more games than John Wooden. 
And if you read the book by Ian O'Connor, Coach K, he was almost fired. When he got the job, it was a shocker. He was roundly criticized because he had a losing record at his previous stop, Army. The one-and-done culture gave Duke fits. And before Johnny Dawkins, you weren't really sure if they were ever going to be an elite annual program. It was hard for the greatest college basketball coach of all time. It was hard for the greatest basketball player of all time. Michael Jordan retired in the middle of his career to play minor league baseball and then retired again and then came back again. All the greats, coaching, executives, players, it's not where you go to school. It's not just your measurables. To me, the common thread is always fight and resilience. MJ was resilient. Coach K was resilient. Go read that book by Ian O'Connor. It is remarkable the struggles for over 30 years Duke had multiple times teetering on the edge of irrelevance, and he overcame. You'll figure out very quickly in that book, the one thing Krzyzewski was, day one, a fighter. So a story last week, the Cowboys, according to Adam Schefter, are going to move off expensive whiteout Amari Cooper. I don't love the move, and I said that on FS1 and on iHeartRadio. Um, Dak Prescott with Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott without Amari Cooper, with him and without him, he's two different quarterbacks. And without him, he's a B, B-minus quarterback. With him, he's a B-plus, A-minus quarterback. That's the difference between winning playoff games and losing them. But what do we learn from the Amari Cooper situation? Well, I've always had an opinion because I think many of you know that have listened to me. I would love to be a general manager of an NFL team. I'm certainly not qualified. But if I'd have spent 30 years pursuing that and not broadcasting, who knows? You know, maybe I get lucky. And if I ran a team, and I've talked to GMs about this, I would pay big money rarely with total discretion, and I would almost never pay early. A rare exception is Justin Herbert, uh, Josh Allen, uh, uh, Russell Wilson. You know, when you're looking at a guy that is clearly a Hall of Fame talent, uh, arm, brains, movement, players like him, you know, there, there's a handful of quarterbacks you just do it for. But um, the Cowboys paid. Ezekiel Elliott, not only early, two years early, at a position running back that most shrewd general managers don't believe you ever pay early because it takes more of a physical beating than any other position that touches the football. You can't hit receivers, can't hit tight ends, can't hit quarterbacks like you used to be able to. You can still drill from any angle a running back. The Dallas Cowboys front office is now paying a price for a move that was very, very easy to predict. They paid a running back two years early. And now their second best running back is Ezekiel Elliott. I don't like this move. CeeDee Lamb had one catch against the Niners, case, case of the drops last year. Um, Michael Gallup's coming off an ACL surgery. Cedric Wilson's a three. Um, they're going to have to go to the draft. And because they were a playoff team, you know, they're not taking high enough in the first or second round unless they trade up to get really the top four or five receivers available. And Dallas is in a win now window. 
right? They're not into developing a slot receiver from the third round. They need a guy to come in and be productive. And there'll be maybe four or five of those guys. They're not going to get them. Don't pay running backs early. Never pay running backs two years early. College basketball championship season is approaching and there's no better place to get in on the action than the FanDuel Sportsbook. It's where I bet. New customers place their first college basketball bet risk-free up to a thousand bucks. Bet college basketball any way you like. I like the same game parlays. You can also jump into action with live betting. Same game parlays are great. Bet a little, five, ten bucks, win a lot. Or bet with big promotions like odds boosts. Those are fun. When you win, FanDuel's going to pay you. Little as two hours. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Sign up. Promo code Colin to get your first bet risk-free up to 1000 bucks. That's promo code Colin. That's me. Make the college basketball championships mean more on FanDuel Sportsbook. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, and Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 533-42-ARIZONA. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-HOP P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369 in New York, Tennessee. Redline 1-800-889-9789 Tennessee. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. 
Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Let's bring in, and it's rather timely, 14-year NFL vet Greg Olson. Three Pro Bowls, Seahawks, Panthers, Bears, Fox Sports. Um, great pickup for us. So you know Russ. I know Russ. I talked to him for about 15 minutes, he and his wife, at the Super Bowl. I talked to his agent, Mark Rogers, at the Super Bowl. Um, they clearly were not happy in Seattle. You talked to Russ in the last 24 hours. He has a no-trade clause, Greg. Almost nobody in the National Football League does. There's seven players. He's one of them. My guess is this is exactly where he wanted to go. Yeah, this, this story doesn't come out unless Russ has waived that clause. This this story doesn't come out. This trade isn't pursued without his blessing. And I think that's always been the arrangement that he had with the team. I don't think I think those stories of him going in with an ultimatum, like I want to be traded, I don't necessarily think that was true, especially last year. I think there was always an understanding that the team, if the opportunities were ever presented and they were contacted by an organization or franchise that piqued their interest, it was it was out of the NFC, obviously not within the division. It was all those people saying, oh, San Francisco. No one's obviously trading anyone like his caliber within the division, let alone in the conference. But I think when an AFC team like Denver called, I think weeks ago, they go to his agent and they say, hey, would Russ entertain this? And I don't think they go through the exercise of what, it, you know, what a trade would be like in this sense of you know, the back and forth and negotiation without his blessing and without him being a part of it. So I think weeks ago, they reached out to him and said, hey, we have this on the table. Can we, We're not saying we'll do it, but can we continue to go through the exercise of exploring it? I'm sure his team said yes. And when the two sides came to an agreement that both that both the teams wanted, they finally had to go to Russ and say, hey, we need your final blessing to announce this, to authorize it, put pen to paper. And I think Denver was always one of those teams that intrigued him, right? He wants to go somewhere with a good team, a good roster, good offensive weapons, good on defense, just hired an offensive head coach this last hiring cycle with Hackett. So I think it checked a lot of the boxes that he's looking for. He's not looking to go to a rebuild. He's not looking to go somewhere where he's got to start from scratch. And I think they check all those boxes. Before Brady went to Tampa, we said really good 
defense, young in the secondary, excellent weapons, average O-line. The Denver Broncos, really good and young in the secondary, solid defense, great weapons, pretty okay on the offensive line. I really do believe this feels like Brady to Tampa. This team just needs a quarterback. I, I, am I, am I, I mean, you did the Cowboy Bronco game. Denver beat them down physically for three and a half hours. You've seen this team live. You've been in production meetings. I don't think I'm overstating it. I think Denver just needed a catalyst. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think there's a ton of similarities between that. I think the key difference maybe with this situation versus Brady's in Tampa is just that division's a lot stronger. I think the, the division Brady's competed in the last two years versus now what Russell's going to have to deal with out there in the AFC West with, with you know with the Chargers. And, and I mean, that's a brutal division, top-tier quarterbacks across the board. I think that might make a little change, but as far as young and dynamic on offense, guys to throw the ball to, good on defense. Obviously, you know, they lost Von Miller. They don't have a ton of pass rush. You know, that was always kind of a little bit of a sticking point. Vic Fangio had that defense playing at an all-time level that week we saw him play against Dallas. That, you know, there's a lot of talk coming out of that game. You know, did that defense, and I know Fangio is not there anymore, but did that defense crack the code of Kellen Moore and that Cowboys offense? And people said, no, it was just one bad day. I mean, they blew the brakes off Dallas. In Dallas, as you said, we called that game. And we kind of saw teams steal a little bit of that design. Now, of course, it's a different staff, different coaches, but the same guys. That defense has young talent. They're very good on the back end, as you just stated. I think it's a very legitimate comparison you're making. My only caveat would be playing in that division those six games a year. That's a, that's a tough sledding. I do want to address this. You were in that locker room. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I've been highly critical of Seattle's schemes. Um, I think it's antiquated. I think they run the ball too much with a bunch of B backs and an average offensive line. And I think it frustrated Russell Wilson to have to be the playmaker with a little bit of an antiquated offense. It always fell on his shoulders to make a play. And I look around this league and I look at, you know, I look at Matt Stafford with the Rams and he had better weapons. He had a better offensive line. You know, a guy wants to be the man. He doesn't want to be the only man. You were in that locker room. Is it fair to say Seattle offensively was a little behind the calendar, was a little behind the times? Yeah, and I don't even, for my time there, I don't necessarily think it was a personnel issue at all. I think we had a lot of good players. Dwayne Brown was a good player. Um, we brought in Brandon Shell, who was, I think, underrated as a right tackle. He came in in the same draft, same kind of free agent class with, with me from the Jets. I thought he was, a, I thought he was a good, solid right tackle. They had some young guys inside. They drafted the young kid, played left guard a couple of years ago, um, D. Lou. But off, you know, weapons wise, Chris Carson's a stud. I know he dealt with some injuries this year, but that dude is a, he is as impressive a dude as I've ever played with. You know, obviously DK and Tyler Lockhart. That's a real combo. I never thought they had a personnel issue. For my time there, I just felt like there was an ideological disconnect between what do our best players do, Russell, DK, Tyler, what are we built to do offensively, and what are we being allowed to do offensively? I mean, it, the conversations that I would have with the coaches as we talked about scheme and philosophy, and again, I was there a short time, and the amount of pushback and the amount of questions that I would get in return saying, you know, we're not sure if we can do this, I'm not sure if we can protect this, this and I'm sitting there saying, I've, I've seen this happen for over a decade in Carolina. 
you guys have DK and you have Tyler and you have a good a franchise left tackle and you have Russell Wilson, who's at quarterback, both mentally and physically can handle anything. And I'd sit there scratching my head. It was like we were playing with a JV roster. It was like we were playing with a rookie undrafted quarterback. Like it was very interesting to me. I just think the ideology there was always defense first, kicking game, punt the ball, field position, force turnovers, defensive led. And then they'd hand the ball to Russ at the end of the game and say, go be go be magic. And I just always thought it was a very interesting disconnect that I never to this day have been able to wrap my head around. I just think it was part of Russell's frustration. I think it's why Russ said, I want to go somewhere where this is going to be an offensive quarterback driven team, not just in the media, not just as the face of the franchise, but every Sunday with the ball in my hand, like Aaron Rodgers, like the stars, Brady, that team was going to go how they went. And I think Russell wants a taste of that. I'm assuming that's why Denver's going out and making this pick. They're going to hand the ball to him and say, hey, let's build this system around what you're comfortable with. Let's do what you're comfortable with. Lead us. Be that guy we feel like we've been missing ever since uh, Peyton Manning retired. And I'll tell you what, they swung for the fences. I don't think it was a terrible trade. I don't think they gave up too much to get him, to get a guy like that. I don't think they leveraged the farm. And I don't think it could be a better match for both teams. You had probably multiple high school quarterbacks, multiple college quarterbacks, and multiple NFL quarterbacks. Russell is statistically and winning-wise the best you've ever played with. What was the secret sauce? How many practices, how many meetings with Russell, Greg, before you went, okay, this is, this is a little different. This is a little more intense. One. And I'll, and I'll tell you, it's a funny story. So we were on like the brink of COVID. It was just starting to be a thing. It was March of 2020. I had just signed maybe a few weeks earlier, end of February, middle end of February, I signed with, with Seattle. COVID was like just starting on the radar. We had driven down to Florida for spring break. So this was like the second week of March. My kids were off of school and I'm down there and he texts me. He's like, hey, well, let's connect sometime this week and start going over the playbook. They had sent me like an iPad with all the stuff. And I was like, great, let me know when. I just thought the two of us were going to jump on a call, you know, talk about formations, talk about different routes and just kind of as a get to know each other kind of conversation. Well, little did I know, I went up to my hotel room and he had an entire his Zoom set up in his office with a whiteboard. He had half the screen with the playbook, like sharing his screen, half the board where he could write on it, talking through. Then he stepped back and he was taking me through two minute signals in his office like it was in the middle of the huddle. And I came down after it was probably a good hour, hour and a half. Right. So my wife's at the pool with the kids. It's spring break. And I come down. She's like, how was it? And I said, I've played with a lot of really good guys, a lot of really talented guys who did it right. I'm not sure if I've ever been around what I just experienced. Like it was a really, really, this is March, Colin. This is March. It wasn't even, we were a month away from OTAs, two months away from OTAs, let alone the season. It didn't matter if it was March on a Zoom call during spring break or the day before the Sunday game, we played the Rams to end the season in the playoffs. Every single day, he was the exact same way. And I think that's the greatest compliment that I could pay him. The talent, the arm, the running, like that's easy. Everybody, everybody can just see that with their own eyes. The greatest compliment I can give him was it didn't matter the significance of that individual session. He never let it alter his approach. And, and I think that's like the best way I could sum him up. All right, we bring in somebody who does really good work. And has done work, great work for a long time. In fact, I don't bring 
other talk show hosts on my show very much. I bring Mike Missinelli on a couple times a year. He's got big opinions. He's smart. Uh, Philadelphia is a highly competitive sports market. Uh, so to be able to win that market for years and years and years is really something. And uh, Mike works at 97.5, The Fanatic. It's, it's as good as any sports talk radio market in the country. Highly competitive and devoted fans. You know, it's funny, Mike. Since I've moved to FS1, especially in the last three years, people have said, Colin, you're doing a lot of L.A. sports. And I keep telling everybody, yeah, because all the teams here win. <laughs> I would love – I talk about Philadelphia all the time on my show because you have like interesting teams. The Jets are terrible. The Giants are terrible. The Knicks are terrible. The Nets are a mess. The, the Mets are a mess. You know, it, it's, it's funny what's happening to your neighbors in New York. It's just bad management, bad owners, bad teams. Conversely, Philadelphia is kind of fascinating. So let's start with the Sixers. Uh, we said on our show, I, I, I thought, I said, listen, I like the coach. I like Embiid. I like the talent. I like the chemistry. It's a winning culture. I thought, I thought Harden, when engaged, you know, there's some Kobe analytics here. He's virtually unstoppable. Are you a little surprised how seamless, how quick, how joyful it looks? Yeah, first of all, good to see you, Colin, and uh, thanks for the kind words. Uh, this town's upside down right now, and uh, it took the first few games with Harden in the lineup to get this flow going. And the, the energy here right now for this team, uh, they lost to the Heat last night, uh, and Harden did not play. But, you know, his first home game on Wednesday uh, was just uh, the, the roof was about to blow off. And I think in, in Philadelphia, when you give these fans a team that they know is pretty good enough to possibly win something, the town just lights up. And also it helps to have a star. And in this case, they have two stars that are working together very well. Uh, their, their spacing has been the most amazing thing that you, you can see yes. right now. That With those two guys in the lineup, they space very well. Uh, their only flaw right now is the strength of their bench. But, you know, when you look right. back at all the teams that have won, their bench wasn't really that strong. Their starters were really strong. So these guys are yeah. going to play close to 40 minutes once playoff time comes. And if they can avoid that first-round matchup with the Nets, which I think is a little precarious, uh, this team can actually get to the NBA Finals. I'm not a Ben Simmons fan because, Mike, I've always believed there's one thing you can't coach or teach, indifference. It's, it's just like your business. You love Philadelphia. You love sports. There's a lot of guys with a good voice. If you don't love this stuff, it's too much crap with advertisers and management. <laughs> and it's just, you've got to love it. Like, I, I don't get the Simmons thing. Give me stories. When well, did you just say, I'm over him? Well, I think they are now. Uh, it, it's funny. Uh, when this thing first happened, it was just uh, hard to comprehend that that one guy would be willing to blow up uh, an entire season and an organization, frankly. Uh, keeping the organization kind of in limbo uh, over this. But you're right about him. Uh, we had like four years to study the guy. He has absolutely no ability to self-evaluate. Um, you know, when this thing happened, the reasons why he was criticized were valid reasons. He did not take a shot in four straight fourth quarters in the playoffs, and they lost to an inferior team. So when Doc Rivers said what he said, I, I know that's going to rub a player the wrong way. Um, and he probably shouldn't have said it. But a guy with self-evaluation should be able to look at it and say, you know what, that hurt, but maybe he's right. And, and, and I've got to do some things to, to change it up because he's just absolutely paralyzed in a game to take a jump shot and doesn't realize that that's wrong. You know, it, it was always everybody else's fault and not Ben Simmons. And you go back like psychologically, I hate to play 
uh, you know, psychologist, armchair psychologist, but he was raised to be a prince of sorts. He was like the prince of his country. Uh, and his parents, I think, were very much enablers with, with his talent. And he was the next thing that, that was going to come. Uh, and so I believe that his, his brain has hardened into the point where he does not think he has any flaws at all. And to just hold out for an entire season just not realizing what that was going to do, not only to here, to Philadelphia, but his own career was just mind boggling to me. Yeah, there, um, you know, there was a scouting report when he left college that said um, he wasn't always highly competitive in crucial moments. That is a total red flag. The fact that he's ducking the game against the Sixers is a complete Red flag to me, right? Oh, it's totally. But you know, as soon as that that he was traded, there was no way that he would. I, you know, everybody here felt there's no way that he, that he was going to make that game. Although people did get sucked into buying five hundred dollar tickets for that game, and, and I, there's no way he's going to face this kind of music coming back after after all that had happened. But you know, the, the, just the the progression of the whole thing was just so ridiculous. Like he he showed up because his agent said, if you don't show up and take part. You, they're not going to pay you. And so he came back and thought that they were just going to pay him. And so what he did was didn't want to participate in Doc Rivers practices or his drills and thought he was going to be able to get away with that. And, and then they said, OK, well, if you're not participating, you're not really uh, uh, satisfying the requirements of your contract. So you're not going to pay you. And then the mental situation came up and, and it's really it's tough to talk about that because it, it, it keeps you at bay that, you know, how can you make a judgment on, on how a guy's feeling mentally? But we all thought it was just a ruse for him to try to collect money. And, and it did. They, they started to pay him. And then he said he was seeing somebody on his own. And then uh, the Sixers couldn't verify that he was seeing somebody on his own. So they withheld money again. And, and he just didn't get it. And so he got what he wanted. Uh, he goes to uh, to Brooklyn and uh, and now is back because he thinks that in the NBA it's just easy to miss a whole season and not work out and then come back and play at an NBA level. So now he's got legitimate back injuries or whatever it is. But the Sixers, the thing about this deal, because a lot of people said at the start of the deal, oh, how could you give up a backup center as valuable as Drummond and, a, and a, a shooter like Curry? Well, basically what they did was they traded Ben Simmons for a superstar in James Harden. And as soon as Harden's come, the fans really didn't pay enough attention to Harden's game. What we found out most of all about him, he's a smart player. Man, he just knows what to do on a basketball floor. And he's made everybody around him better, especially Tyrese Maxey, who's going crazy right now. Well, that's the interesting. Maxey and he are an interesting because Maxey, by the way, wants the ball, highly athletic. I mean, he's an interesting player. Is there any concern that that could be it could be agitating that that may not be ideal. No, I, he's been freed up. Uh, Tyrese Maxey with Harden on the floor has been freed up to do what he does best, which is he's he's kind of a combo guard. He, and you saw him at Kentucky. He just flies. It, and Harden creating space, it, it makes Maxey so much better. And he's fearless. And, and Harden's kind of taking him under his wing. You know, the, the halftime the other day uh, against uh, uh, that game on Wednesday night, uh, uh, Harden goes up to him at halftime and says, all right, you ready to play now? He had four points in the first half. So in, in the second half, he just took charge. And Calipari was there. I was sitting right behind Calipari, who had come to see him and Emmanuel quickly and Randall and all those Kentucky guys. And, uh, you know, he, he says, this is the way Tyrese Max 
as he plays. I was talking to him a little bit. Just get him out in the open, get him out in space. When he has to be a point guard, he will. And they've been doing that with, with they, when they take hard now, they make sure they keep Maxie on the floor with Tobias Harris. Uh, he's just a fun-loving kid who loves to play the game with no pretensions at all. Yeah. Um, let me pivot to Jalen Hurts. So I've been highly critical of Tua in Miami. And my takeaway is he's not a playmaker with his feet and he's not a playmaker with his arm. He can't do anything off script. So if you're a little smaller than ideal size, you got to give me something special. I defend Jalen Hurts saying little small. I don't think he's a great thrower. But he is absolutely too productive as a playmaker not to give another year. That's my interpretation. But in Philadelphia, what are they saying about Well, him? you're probably right when you look at it logically. Um, I don't think, <laughs> you know, really, because I don't think the Eagles believe that. I think the Eagles, if they had a chance to make a deal, uh, Russell Wilson's been their white whale. They didn't draft him. They were sorry they didn't draft him. They've loved him ever since. Uh, I don't think he's going to be available. But they've been also interested in Deshaun Watson. I think that they do want to upgrade the position. I don't think he's got – they have total belief in Hurts. And I don't think he played to that level where you go, you have total belief in him. Now, if they don't do anything else, he's obviously going to get one more uh, year to do it, which is interesting because in the draft, they have three first-round picks. Whether they save one of those picks for next year when the quarterback draft will be a little better than it is this year – uh, is is the question. So I don't believe they will draft a quarterback. I do believe that Hertz will will get one chance to do it. But <laughs> it's funny that you bring up Hertz because when they drafted him, I thought it was the biggest organizational failure I had seen in uh, in in Philadelphia sports because of the Wentz thing just crashed and burned on him. And one of the linchpins was it that they drafted Hertz. And and uh, Wentz really did not take it well, and so uh, like they didn't figure that would happen, uh, and and the Wentz thing just just blew up. And so when it blew up, they had the biggest salary cap hit in the history of football at thirty eight million. That's to me not a success. I always thought the Eagles were well run. And then over the course of a year, you hear the Doug Peterson story, the owner meddling, Howie Roseman. And we heard some of that with Chip Kelly. But, hey, he's a college coach and Chip's an odd bird. And I like Chip. He's an odd bird. So, OK, that that's that's not that's Chip. And then Doug Peterson, who's kind of liked. I mean, most of my NFL guys, they kind of like Doug. I mean, is he a great coach? He's a kind of likable guy. Huh. And then you hear stories. And again, there's meddling. And it's like. Is this a shit show? Like, do they know what they're <laughs> do they know what they're doing? So I want you to give me a Philadelphia view. How is ownership in the front office viewed? Because I, when Nick Sirianni held his press conference initially, I thought it was embarrassing. I, I didn't even know what to say. Well, so did we. And we had we had a blast with it, by the way. But uh, no, it, 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 it's really uh, an interesting dynamic here with this uh, with Jeffrey Lurie, I believe, um, likes to get involved. And at first, it didn't seem like he did. I, th I, I the theory is that Hertz was his pick, that that Roseman really wasn't on board with taking Hertz in that position. But Lori's one of these guys that will watch college football on Saturdays and think that he knows something that he really doesn't know. <laughs> and, I, and I think he, he, he's had a lot of input uh, because of that. Now, Roseman is strategic in that he knows he's the trusted voice and Lori believes in him. So um, his brilliance is to convince Lori that he really knows what he's doing 
And so the lawyer has eminent trust in him. His drafts have been horrendous the last three years. And uh, everybody is nervous here that with three number one picks in that, I call it the danger zone because it's the teens going towards 20 where Roseman has made a lot of mistakes. So yep. uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what, what they do here. I'm a draft, Nick. I'm a dork. I love it. I love college football. Philadelphia is not a big college football town. I grew up in Seattle. The Huskies won a national title. Um, I was a USC fan. Uh, I worked in Tampa, so I followed the SEC. And I've been to a lot of these stadiums. I like it. You know, I grew up with it. I like it. Um, it's a bad draft. Uh, I, I have a lot of NFL executives and scouts I know. Everybody wants to trade down. Um, it's just a bunch of B players. I think the kid out of Michigan, the pass rusher, is probably your safest bet, but he's not TJ Watt. I mean, there, there is no Fletcher Cox in this draft. Uh, there is no Aaron Donald. There is no Chase Young on the defensive front. Um, and I, I kind of look at where the Eagles are poised, and I think to myself as I watched them last year, I'm like, they got into the playoffs. Hurts probably in Nick Sirianni. Probably 10, 15% improve. The division is still weak. And I'm like, can they get three starters? I mean, you have an elite corner. You kind of have to rebuild a little bit your line play. It's old. Like where in, in not a great draft, though, you have a nice supply of picks. Like where would you say, okay, here's three picks. Go in this direction. Well, I don't know where they're going to go, but they're, they're – uh... They're very line oriented. So, and you're right. I, I don't know who's going to, they need a pass rusher badly. And, uh, you know, Derek Barnett is probably not going to be back. He had Brandon Graham coming back from terrible injury and he's old. So they desperately need a pass rusher and they're probably going to take who's ever left on the board, whether that's a Jabo or whether that's, uh, uh, from Purdue or, or the kid from Florida State that they liked at the senior bowl. So I, I believe that will be their first round pick. They, they also need a corner. They need a linebacker more than any other team in the league, and they just won't pull the trigger on a linebacker in that spot. So I wouldn't expect it to go linebacker. If they keep three picks, which I doubt, they would probably go uh, – two of them will be defensive. But they'll also be intrigued to take a wide receiver uh, in that position. Um, if they do that, Howie Roseman admits that Jalen Rager was a failure – and I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure he's ready to admit that. So uh, I know your guess is as good as mine, but they, they need defensive players. And, and a lot of people here want them to take three defensive players with those three picks. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll trade one of those picks. Make sure to check out the Draymond Green show. I brought Draymond Green into the volume because one of the more entertaining voices in sports, unique perspective, understands behind the rope, also chops up with guests like Gary Payton, Zach Levine, Tracy McGrady. Make sure download the Draymond Green show wherever you get your podcasts, only on the volume podcast network. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. All right, let's bring in Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer, Action Network, Sharper Square, all numbers according to FanDuel. So before we get into football, which we will, um, the difference between casual sports bettors and sharps to me has always been college basketball. Um, the really sharp guys can feast on it because there's thousands of games. The sports book can't, can't watch and monitor all of them. There's money to be made. So here's the depth of my college basketball. I've watched Kentucky play four times. Okay, four times. Really, really good offensively. Um, they're, they're Gonzaga offensively, but more force. They are more physical. So offense wins a lot in this tournament. Um, there are teams, we see these, that just over the course, you have to win this tournament, you need six games. You can't go dry for a game. You've got to have scores. That's why Gonzaga has so much damn success. They don't play real defense. They're never physical. 
They're just really slick offensively. They score 95 a game. They get to the tournament. That goes down to 85. That's why Gonzaga keeps winning. It's not because they have the best athletes or NBA guys. They score. They've got a system. So this is a real offense for Kentucky. I know they're not a dark horse. They're plus 800. But that's my Calipari wins his second title is my hot take going into March Madness. What say you? It's look, it's really an interesting take. And you think about the fact that Calipari has only won once all these teams over the years, whether it was, you know, UMass or with Marcus Camby or Memphis with Derrick Rose and now Kentucky with the years and years of all Americans and sort of the one and done talent he has had. The fact he's only got one is actually astonishing. And it's not a bad choice. Like not just because at eight to one, look like no, no professional better is going to say to you, yeah, take the eight to one number because they like odds that are longer. That's just how they like to play the game. But what's really interesting about Kentucky is they're playing in the best conference. Yes. The SEC by yes. far, that is where you're getting battle tested, right? Like Gonzaga is not getting battle tested. Gonzaga is at about three and a half to one right now. Auburn and Alabama this year, both really good. Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, like those are four teams that can beat anybody as they have proven all year long. Obviously, Arizona is about six to one, right? Like the Pac-12, that's not scaring anybody. So then you got Kentucky. And then after that, like it gets really interesting because Duke, no one's really buying Duke. Baylor has been injured all year. Kansas has had issues. Auburn, while great, has then been inconsistent. You start to get down into that mid, like lower tier. I do think Purdue is a really interesting team. But it's interesting. We fall in love with Big Ten teams because Big Ten basketball ratings get pretty damn good ratings. They really Mm -hmm. do. Michigan State games, Indiana games, Ohio State games. Go look at the history. How many Big Ten teams get to the Final Four? I mean, even Izzo, total class program. I think we overvalue. Here's why we overvalue Big Ten teams. We watch them more. Secondly, they've got so many great home court environments. In that part of the country, they like college basketball arguably more than the NBA. I mean, these these arenas are stacked and jammed. So the environment when you're watching Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, and Indiana is out of this world good. And it gets us kind of, wow, this feels big. Big 10 teams, I always feel like they're a little overvalued. Uh, When I was at ESPN, I walked into, you can remember this, there are these multi-purpose conference rooms, right? And uh, when the tournament comes around, they set them up like war rooms and there's huge screens everywhere and food being ordered and everyone is just around watching the games, kind of working, but mostly watching the games. And I went down there, it was my first year when I had become, I had been editor-in-chief of the magazine then took over uh, ESPN.com. And, you know, the people, like, when I took over, there was a divide, right? Like, ESPN.com, that was hardcore, that was daily, that was hundreds of stories a day, thousands of stories a year. And like the magazine, we were dilettantes, right? We're coming out every other week. We're like, got a very precious product, all this kind of stuff. I sat down 
And I said to the college basketball editor for ESPN.com at the time, who I had just started working with, I'm like, Michigan State is overrated. Like, never advance the way you think they would. Always number one, number two, never really get to the spot, always underperform. And everyone looked at me as if I was the devil who was coming from someplace that didn't know anything about sports, moving into where they really talk about sports. And it turns out I might be right. And you agree with me. That makes me feel yes. better. All these yes. years later, later, I feel better. Well, the SEC, our immediate image is SEC football. But they have, over the last 10 years, had more success in the tournament. And that's without Kentucky being as good as we think. The yeah. last great college basketball team was Florida Dude. and Billy Donovan. That was the last great college basketball team. How about the run Arkansas had last year? And Arkansas is another one. Like, you're going to be afraid of Arkansas. Like, it's just going to be a team that you're going to have to be looking out for. And you're totally right about college basketball being a professional betters game. When, when I did the yes. odds, which, you know, featured Alan Boston from Vegas, who you know, which I yeah. track these guys who bet on sports for a living, that entire book was about college basketball and about yes. the interplay between bookmakers and, and gamblers um, and how that, those moments, the, the, the time when bookmakers are setting a line and betters are betting into that line, create a cataclysmic event that reverberates through the entire sports betting world because it is billions of dollars based on these small decisions these guys are making. And it's the betters like Alan Boston, who at the time was one of the biggest and best college basketball betters yeah. in the world, has an impact in a way that is much more far-reaching uh, in terms of the betting community than the NFL because the NFL is just harder to win at. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, one of the reasons I like Kentucky is I, I, I do think um, – like like Baylor played real defense last year, but they had some NBA players as well. And what made Baylor special is they could muscle Gonzaga late, but they had scores on the wing. You know, I've, I've heard for years uh, you can defend your way through the tournament. It's six games. You've got to drop buckets. You're going to face NBA players at some point in this tournament. You've got to score baskets. Nobody's stopping at the college level a top 10 pick in the NBA. It's why Gonzaga to me, that runs a highly, highly efficient offensive system. It, it's not they have the best athletes. They really, really know what they're doing offensively. And when I look at Gonzaga this year, I've watched them about 10 times because Mark Few's a buddy. Um, I still look at this team that can get pushed around. I still I, I think they're just offensively. Watson can get you a bucket on the wing. They've got the Holmgren, the kid from Minnesota who weighs about a buck 50. I think you can push him around. Um, so I think I'm going to sell a little stock, even though they're the odds on favorite this year. I think there's I think Baylor gave you and UCLA to a degree gave you a little bit of a roadmap. Get physical, get in their face, uh, contest every shot. And Gonzaga gets a little uncomfortable. Uh, it's like you drop in Mark Fuse, a buddy. Like on the show, the yeah, other I know day, I did. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening to the show. You're like, yeah. Sierra came up to me at a at a super at a dinner at a she did. At, at, at a restaurant. What was this yeah. a dinner? I'm like thinking, where was he at? Because I saw him the Wednesday of Super Bowl week at his party, and like you don't even like to go out that much. Like no, you don't like the Hollywood scene. So where were you at? Where you saw? I, I tell me. 
So I, I went to uh, my wife and a friend. It was a wheels up party. And I, I fly them three or four times a year. I'm not really a private jet guy. I fly Delta. It's, I like veteran pilots with gray hair, uh, tight pants, uh, uh, shirts that are buttoned up and pressed. I don't want to go too much and, private and stuff. Preferably uh, military expertise. And they had, yes. they had thrown they had flown 35 combat missions yes, in right. Vietnam. Yeah. So I'm a Delta guy. But I go to the wheels up thing because I have friends inside the company and I go out a couple times a year. We take our dogs to Utah. Nobody cares about this. So I go to the party and it's a bunch of stars. First of all, uh, Alex Smith, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Montana. Uh, two things became abundantly clear. I'm a really big deal. <laughs> uh, the second thing. So Russell comes in and I see Mark Rogers, his agent and Russell. And Russell waves, but he's got just getting mobbed. And as I go over to say hi to him, Sierra moves in front and says, oh, God, we love you. I love you. I didn't hear a thing after that. It didn't matter that she said the show. She's the best looking human I've ever seen. I'm not joking. I, I just I was like, OK, well, I'm going to go and um, have a piece of chicken parm, fall to sleep and dream about what could have been with Sierra. Yeah. And um uh, yeah. So my takeaway is that was my Ciara party. So I don't do this much, but I do think it's important that I sound like a big deal the two times a year I see famous people. The, the, the currency you can get from one or two moments yeah. because people extrapolate and they assume yeah. it's Colin Cowherd, he's famous. He's, you know, as Rosillo pointed out on the podcast, like people are buying Cowherd again, like he's on the upswing, <laughs> you know, he's, 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 you know, he's like, he's a media mogul all of a sudden, like oh, they're, they're, they're back in, his stock is right. That's right. And so yeah. even if like you're spending most nights like me with your notifications turned off at 9 p.m., and oh, yeah. you're watching Most Gilded nights. Age on HBO yeah. Max because you love Christine Baranski. People think it's a mystery because. Yeah. I got... watch Manhunt on Acorn. Done. It's my favorite channel, Acorn TV. If I hadn't already watched Manhunt, I'd probably be watching it. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. So good. So I get it. I totally get it. Every Like in Zoom, yeah. every once in a while, like uh, I'll pop in like. Well, yeah, you know, I was at this event and like people are like, he's at, he's at everything, right? And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere, but I could say it once or twice yeah. and, you know, it carries. I get it. By the way, my wife never walks in when I'm doing a podcast, oh, but, she, but since she looks like your wife, Chad, my beautiful redheaded wife just walked in. What can I help you with, honey? Uh, no, I just want to know if you needed anything. Coffee, maybe an omelet. She wanted to know if I need anything. Is that the best? She is lovely. No princess. <laughs> Ooh, good thing she didn't walk in I was that Ciara say, monologue she, just in time at the volume sports twitter instagram go to our youtube page at the volume sports subscribe
the volume. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.